of God's word to us this morning begins in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 44. We'll begin in verse 21 and read through chapter 45. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, you are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Shout for joy, O heavens, for Yahweh has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For Yahweh has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I, Yahweh, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone, causing the omens of boasters to fail, making fools out of diviners, causing wise men to draw back and turning their their knowledge into foolishness confirming the word of his servants and performing the purpose of his messengers. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says to the depth of the sea, be dried up, and I will make your rivers dry. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Thus says Yahweh to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places in order that you may know that it is I, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Beside me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one beside me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am Yahweh who does all these. Drip down, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit, and righteousness spring up with it. I, Yahweh, have created it. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthen well vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making, say, he has no hands? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Thus says Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel and his maker, ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their host. I have aroused him in righteousness, and I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free without any payment or reward, says Yahweh of hosts. 
Thus says Yahweh, the products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, will come over to you and will be yours. They will walk behind you. They will come over in chains and will bow down to you. They will make supplication to you. Surely God is with you and there is no one else, no other God. Truly thou art a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, Savior. They will be put to shame and even humiliated, all of them. The manufacturers of idols will go away together in humiliation. Israel has been saved by Yahweh with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. For thus says Yahweh who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in a waste place. I, Yahweh, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, Yahweh? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in Yahweh are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him and all who were angry at him shall be put to shame. In Yahweh, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. We'll turn now to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And we'll read verses 27 through 38. And Jesus went out along with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others said, Elijah, but others, one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, thou art the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Please now turn to the back of your bulletin and we'll read together as a congregation Psalm 137.
Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, that is universal, apostolic church, we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection from the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you that you call us Sunday by Sunday into your presence to give us your word. And we thank you that you have, for all these centuries, preserved your word for us, and we are privileged 
in our time to hold your word in our hands, be able to read it as a book, listen to it uh, over the airwaves. Uh, we have so much that you've given us. We confess that we do not know as much as we ought to, but we come joyfully to hear from you, and we pray that you would, that you would sanctify us in the truth because your word is truth. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. The last two verses of 2 Chronicles chapter 36 say this. <clears throat> now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah, the, the Lord Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may Yahweh God be with him and let him go up. I don't know where Ezra engineered in your Bible, if you need to turn a page, but the first verses of Ezra say, Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order, uh, in order to fulfill the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah, Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation uh, to all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all of his people, may Yahweh God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He is the God of who is in Jerusalem. You can see that the end of 2 Chronicles and the beginning of Ezra are exactly the same as we pointed out when we first started the study. I don't know how long ago that was. There have been a lot of interruptions. I don't even know how many lessons there are in it, but there surely could be a whole lot more. 
And uh, today's lesson could take uh, several Sundays if we wanted it to. But, you know, when I get down to the end of a book, I'm ready to move on. And I'm sure you guys were ready to move on about a year ago. So, the reason that Ezra starts with the ending verses of Chronicles is that First and Second Chronicles... Ezra and Nehemiah are all one book. The problem is they're lengthy enough that they cannot be put on one scroll. And so Chronicles 1 is put on one scroll, and when you roll it out, it is a big, long scroll. And Chronicles 2 is put on another scroll, and when you roll it out, it is a big, long scroll. And Ezra and Nehemiah are put on one scroll. We're not positive who the author is, but likely the author is Nehemiah. We can't prove that, but it seems like it would be the case. So this uh, book of Second Chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Bible. If you take the way they order their books, this is it. This is the end. And the last verses of Second Chronicles, which are the first of Ezra, are a statement by Cyrus. In our scripture reading, we've already noted in Isaiah chapter 44 and in chapter 45 that Cyrus is chosen by God to do his work for Israel. And he is called in chapter 44 a shepherd, as if he is going to lead the people out of Babylon and take them to Jerusalem. He doesn't actually do that, but he's the man who issues the decree and puts it in writing. So in Persian terminology, it is irrevocable. And he points out that Yahweh, God, the one who stirred up his spirit, the language that you find uh, after, uh, after the exile, like in Haggai, he stirred up his spirit and he knew, even though in our scripture reading from Isaiah, it says he had no knowledge of him. Well, it's true. Cyrus had no knowledge of Yahweh God until Yahweh God revealed himself to him. And then he recognized Yahweh God as the God of heaven. And not only that, the God who had given him all the kingdoms. So... When you come to Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, we're in a period that's called the Imperium. These are big, huge empires full of all kinds of nations. So there are many kings and kingdoms within the empire. But at the top of the empire of Persia, which has overthrown Babylon, stands Cyrus. And Cyrus comes to know that Yahweh God is the God of heaven who is ruler over all people and he gave him rule over all his kingdom and he has now called on Cyrus to build for him a house in Jerusalem which is in Judah. Well, we saw at the end of 2 Chronicles chapter 36 that the nation went into, into captivity, 
called its desolation, and we saw that the desolation was to last for 70 years so that the land could have its Sabbath rest, which the people of the land never gave it. But now it's the 70 years have passed, and God, knowing what he has said through Jeremiah, he said it twice. In Jeremiah chapter 25, in Jeremiah chapter 29, once in the context of their hard-heartedness and that they had been sent into desolation and would abide there for 70 years, and once in the context, okay, now that you're down in Babylon, well, you should build houses and you should pray for the welfare of Babylon and you should marry and you should have children for as the welfare of Babylon goes, so goes your welfare. Nevertheless, they're in the midst of a nation Uh, Well, it's just like our nation. Babylon and Persia are these huge empires, and so they have all kinds of racial mixes, and they have all kinds of racial differences, so that some people are held superior, some people are held inferior, some people are treated like nothing. So it was for the Jews, except for those in the upper echelons of uh, the ruling kings that were brought into captivity, they were appointed to help the kings of Babylon and the kings of Persia and so forth. So God, to keep his word, he wakes up Cyrus, stirs him up, and this man who knew nothing about Yahweh God but would have worshipped gods made by hands, made himself known to Cyrus. And in our terminology today, then what we would say of Cyrus, just by looking at what he has said, is that he is a Christian. He recognizes that Yahweh God is sovereign. It's the same thing that happened to the king of the first empire, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a proud man, and God made him like a beast so that he ate grass of the ground until seven times passed over him, and then he woke up. And if you read at the end of Daniel chapter 4, now all of a sudden he knows who Yahweh God is and that he is the one who's over every inhabitant of earth and does whatever his will decides to do, and he's not not given to what men want. He takes care of everyone. So, Babylon, then Persia. The first king in Babylon, the first king in Persia, become what we would call Christians. But this introduces an age that is called the Imperium. In the New Testament, it is called the times of the Gentiles. And uh, if we have time, we'll look at it in Luke chapter 21 in a a bit here. But it includes at least Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. It has a beginning. It does not start until... Judah is taken into captivity. 
This is the beginning of the Imperium. It comes to an end. Most definitely, most certainly, at the cross. Well, I should say, because of the cross, at A.D. 70. What God did because of Israel's rebellion is he took the kingdom from them. Remember, Chronicles promises that David will have a son who will sit on the kingdom forever. And this kingdom, of course, certainly will be Israel, but its extension will be over the whole globe. But because of Israel and Judah's sin, the kingdom is taken from them and they are cast into captivity. Now, God is saying it's time to come home. So, in 539 B.C., a group of Jewish people left their captivity and made their way back to Jerusalem. The list of them is found in Ezra chapter 2. It's a rather lengthy list. And they went back to do just what Cyrus had decreed because he had heard from the Lord, and that was to build a house. And they got there, and they laid the foundation, and then they were roughed up, and trouble came, and they stopped for 16 years until Haggai and Zechariah came along with the word of the Lord to stir their spirit up. And finally, in 516 B.C., this temple was built. Well, now, I'd just like you to, to consider a, a couple of things. Maybe, firstly, we should go to the idea that, well, the time of the kings becomes a type of the imperium. The imperium becomes the introduction of the one kingdom that stands forever and will never end, and you and I are living in it right now. And uh, this kingdom is headed by Jesus Christ. So, now, just think of this. You can turn, if you'd like, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and following. Jesus meets his disciples, and he says to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Yahweh God gave me all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, same kind of language. So, what we're being told is, well, these, these uh, empires lasted from Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then it came to an end. And this new kingdom came up that has no end, and its head is Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you don't think that way. I hope one day you will think that way. So there are two things in Daniel that help us come to understand this. The first one, well, there are more than two, but we're only going to consider two. The first one comes from Daniel chapter 2, and if you remember in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. 
And he was looking for an interpretation of this dream, and he was pretty smart because he's got all these magicians around him, and he can call them in and tell them the dream, and they can say whatever they want to say the interpretation is, and how is he going to know if it's true or not? So he says, okay, I want you to interpret my dream. Okay, king, give us your dream. No, you give me the dream and the interpretation, then I'll know it's true. Ah, shrewd guy. And... Uh, and if you guys can't do it, then all you magicians are going to be put to death. And uh, this is brought to Daniel, and Daniel knows that God can give the answer. And so he approaches God, and God gives him the dream and the interpretation. And it's a dream of this tall statue that has a head of gold and arms and shoulders of silver, and then moving down the bronze in the stomach and moving down to the legs, it becomes iron, and down in the feet and the toes, it is iron mixed with clay. And Daniel interprets this dream for him. But as Nebuchadnezzar was watching this dream in his vision, a stone cut out of a mountain without hands, came and hit the feet of this statue. And it crumbled, and it became like the chaff at the threshing floor. It all blew away. And then this rock that was cut out of the side of a mountain without hands began to grow into this massive mountain. And the interpretation is quite clear. The gold is Babylon, the silver is Persia, the bronze is Greece, and the iron mixed with clay is Rome. And those four kingdoms last all this time, and they were put over God's people. They were the guardians of God's people. And those kingdoms were judged by how they treated God's people. But when you come down to the New Testament then, Jesus Christ dies and is raised from the dead. And we know from Acts chapter 2, he ascended up on high and he fulfilled scripture. He was the son of God and he sat down at the right hand of power and God said to him, thou art my son. Now, we're not talking about divine son we're talking about kingly son thou art my son today i've begotten thee ask of me your inheritance and so forth so now jesus on that day sat down that means the kingdom had already been crushed the empires and now rising up out of that from a stone cut out of the mountains without hands it becomes this kingdom that spreads over the earth and Jesus is head of it. Now, if your eschatology doesn't look that way, you need to adjust it. There will be no revival of the Roman Empire. It did its work already and they did a sorry job and God judged them and the Caesars ended. Now, of course, Rome didn't end in A.D. 70. No, God's putting his people under Rome ended in A.D. 70. 
just like it ended with Babylon, it ended with Persia, it ended with Greece, and then it ended with Rome. Because now there's a new kingdom with a new king who rules forever. And all of his people follow him. So when you think then about uh, Matthew, the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, it sounds very much like what is said to Cyrus. Only Jesus is saying it now. All authority, not just on the earth, but in everything's been given to me. Of course, God's divine Son always had that authority. But God's human Son, that is, the one who became incarnate for our salvation, he received that is as an inheritance on the day he ascended into heaven and he sat down there. And we can't figure this out. Do you know where heaven is? No, nobody knows where heaven is. It may be another dimension. But we do know that there is one human being in a body there. There are no other bodies as far as we know there. They're all buried in the ground or in the sea, or burned up. But one human body is there, and it's Jesus Christ, and he reigns and rules this kingdom right now. And just think then about ah, Babylon, whatever reading you've done in the Bible about Babylon, or Persia, or Greece, or Rome, and probably you've done more reading about Greece and Rome just in, in terms of world history, looking back in the past, and you see what kind of power these empires had, and they were ruthless with their power. And now Jesus is announcing all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Or the way Ephesians puts it in chapter 1 as Paul prays that we might understand this power that is toward us who believe in the resurrection through the power of God, in the might of God, in raising Jesus up from the dead and seating him up in the heavens above all rule, authority, and power and has given him a name which is above every name. And he has made him head over everything for the church's sake. So here we stand or sit and we think, okay, I'm just a lowly little Christian. Well, in one sense, that's true of all of us. We should be lowly little Christians. But we are Christians who have as our head all power. So Cyrus says to these Jewish people, okay, now I'm commanded to build this house. So what I'm doing is I'm decreeing that you guys go back and you build the house. So they went back, and in time the house was built. And Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. i got all the power. There's no other name like my name. There's no God besides me. It's just the sense of the language from Isaiah. I have it all. Now, go make the nation's disciples. Now, put that in the context of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. These empires had all kinds of nations within them who had kings. 
And Jesus isn't saying, now, don't take me wrong here. Jesus is not saying, go make a person a disciple. That is not specifically not what he says. He says, go make the nation's disciples. Why? Because Jesus is king seated on a throne and all the nations belong to him and so they all now need to become disciples of his. Now, mind you, that's usually done one person by one person. But nevertheless, that's the goal. And we tend to think something like, okay, let's get as many Christians as we can before Jesus comes back. Let's get them in, let's get them in the bag. But that's not the way Jesus is thinking. He's thinking about all the nations becoming his disciples. That's our goal. It's a huge, it's a vast goal. And I just want you to notice, it fits right in to the end of Second Chronicles. Cyrus is stirred up by the God of heaven to build a house for God. And so he sends God's people out to do just that. Jesus, before he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, says to his disciples, we call them the twelve. Of course, one had defected, and one is added in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, which is absolutely crucial. Why? Because Jesus is the Israel of God. And there are 12 tribes right there at the mountain, right around him. Because what he's done is he has started the restoration of Israel. But the restoration of Israel is not just Israel. It's all the nations. Because the authority given to David's son back in the Davidic covenant did not just include Jewish people, it included all people. And so what we say of the church today is not that you have Israel here in the church here or that you have Israel and the church replaces Israel. No, we say, okay, God is doing what he said he would do. He started out with Jesus Christ, raised him from the dead. He's the king. And the king has 12 men around him, 12 men around him to conquer by the gospel. Looks very much like Cyrus. Now, there's another proof from Daniel, and you've heard me use it lots of times. I'm going to bring it up again. And that proof comes from Daniel chapter 7. And again, now we're in the context of four empires. A lion, a bear, a leopard, and then this iron thing unlike any other beast. And we know, and I don't think many people dispute it, that this is these same four empires. And then these thrones are drawn together and judgment comes. And the Ancient of Day sits in judgment. Then the next half of Daniel chapter 7 is about 
the coming of one with the clouds like the Son of Man. And he's brought before the Ancient of Days. And he's given a kingdom and a dominion that will never end. It's over all peoples and languages and groups. And in the same context, in that same last half, the sovereignty is given to the people of the kingdom. Now, when did that happen? Or does it lie ahead? No, it doesn't lie ahead. It's already happened because we're told one came up like the Son of Man and presented to the Ancient of Days, and he was given a kingdom. What is that? That is the ascension. Jesus was coming with the clouds of glory into his Father's presence, and he was given a kingdom. And there he sits. And this kingdom is growing all around this world. I don't know what the number of it is, but it keeps growing, and it will keep growing because Jesus is the last king and the last kingdom. There's not going to be another king, and there's not going to be another kingdom because this kingdom never ends. Well, then just to press it a little bit more, and again, I'm using a text that you've all heard, but I would like it cemented in our brains. And you remember from Daniel chapter 26, Jesus was put on... Did I say Daniel? Well, at least I caught it. That's Mitch McConnell didn't catch that he wasn't talking anymore, I don't think. Yeah, we have a bunch of old men leading the country. And I'm one of the old men in this church, and you know what? We kind of falter. Anyway, Matthew 26. Matthew 26, Jesus is put on trial, and they bring all these false witnesses, but nothing, no evidence can be obtained until two men come, and they talk about Jesus saying that he could build the temple in three days. And you know where that comes from. That comes from John chapter 2, when Jesus was at the Passover, and he cleansed the temple and the people said what sign do you give us since you do these things what do you show us that tells you you us that you have the right to do this on another occasion they asked for a sign and Jesus said no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah as Jonah was three days in the belly's well, so the Son of Man will be three days in the belly of the earth. What sign do you give us? Destroy this temple, and I will raise it in three days. What? It's been 46 years in building, and quite frankly, it wasn't even finished yet. And you're going to build it in three days? But then there's a parenthetical comment that Jesus was talking about his body. But of course, these two are brought together for a purpose. It's not like 
the temple is indifferent now because of the body of Jesus. No, the body of Jesus is the temple. And we're transitioning from empire, one, two, three, four, to the last kingdom that has no physical temple. No, what's it have? Go make the nations my disciples. And so, for a couple of thousand years, men and women have been going all over this globe sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because we know this is critical if one does not come to faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done to take away their sin, that person will be lost to this kingdom forever. And they will go away into everlasting punishment. And so for 2,000 years, people have been going all over this globe, drawing people into this kingdom. And how are they presented in the New Testament, the New Covenant? No. There's no temple being built that's physical. They become members of the body of Christ. They are being built up together, Ephesians chapter 2, as a temple in which the Spirit dwells. Stone by stone is buildings being built. But it's not physical. It's a people temple. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, they're called living stones because they're people. After all, God himself said, what, what house can you build me that can contain me that I can live in? No. He comes and he lives in people. Chronicles ends, but Chronicles ends with a beginning. And we see what God is doing through Babylon, where Judah went into captivity, through Persia, where people came out of captivity, but they were not a nation of its own. Uh, just they were just a people in this empire, and then Greece and Rome. Okay, so now, now let's just step back. All of that I think should be clear. Now, why chronicles? After all, you can pick up your Bible and you can open to Kings and you can read all about these kings. And then you pick up Chronicles, and there's a lot of repetition. They're not exactly the same, but they cover the same period. They have two different purposes, and the two purposes reside a bit around the temple. It's not like there are two different temples. There are two different ways of describing the temple. And in Kings, the temple focuses on its architecture, which is the architecture of the nation. But in Chronicles, the temple focuses on liturgy. Now, to some of you, that's a nasty word. 
but it just means service. And I said this up front, and we've studied it, and we could review and review, but we're done. We're ready to move on. The one thing you don't find in Kings is what you find in Chronicles, where the sweet psalmist of Israel developed the psalms and the musical system. And that's the way it's described temple-wise in Chronicles. And you go through this whole litany of kings. Some are bad, some are good. Some bring judgment and the temple's torn down a bit. And then comes along someone who goes to war and gets more goods and builds the temple back up. That, that cycle is there. That's part of why it's there. But as you work your way through the book, you discover that music becomes central in worship. Before David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, before David, there was not music at the worship of God. Now there's music. So we sang Psalm 137 last week. We read Psalm 137 this week. Which way's better? Singing! Because, first of all, the Psalms were made to be sung. Not just read. Don't misunderstand me. It's fine to read them, but they're made to be sung. And that's what Israel did with them. With instruments, by the way. Now, you know, we're not a large congregation, so we have some limitations, but we right now are enjoying a great psalm leader, a great psalm pianist, and we hope it broadens out from that. Well, at least I do. And that's why Chronicles was written. There's a book, I told you right up at the beginning, called From Silence to Song, The Davidic liturgical revolution in Israel. Now, when somebody talks, it can be riveting, it can hold your attention, but it's not like when somebody sings. When somebody sings, it does something different than when someone's talking. It moves the emotions. It stirs one up. Over here, we call this speech Music we call, well, I'm going to quote somebody, glorified speech. You take grain, and you have wheat or whatever, and you bake it into a loaf, and you got something better than grain. It's glorified grain. You take water, and it's just water, and we all love water, but you let it sit for a while with some grapes in it, and it turns into glorified water. It's wine. And that's what God made us for, to be creative, like He's creative. And so, these psalms were written by David and others, and it became the fair at worship. Not just at worship, but the fair that happened when the armies went out to war. But when 
Israel went into captivity, there was no more army from Babylon to Persia to Greece to Rome. The army's gone. How do you fight? Well, David set it up. You fight by song. And the, the people who uh, are advertisers in our country know just that. You want to win a heart? You get a song. So this Davidic liturgical revolution slides down to our day. The church has no army. We're the army, the people. And we have a battle to win. And the battle includes make disciples. And one of the methods of making disciples is singing. And so when they went into Babylon, this had never been heard of in all these different gods. No god was sung to or sung about. There was no music. So they said to him, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And they're thinking, how can we sing a song of Zion when we're in a foreign land? Well, Psalm 138, the Psalms are in order for a reason, has an answer to that. Psalm 138, God has placed his word above his name. Well, it's at the temple where God's name is situated. We're not there, we can't sing. No, God's put his word, and the Psalms are the word of God. We have great hymns today. We sing some of them. We should. But they are not the Word of God. And some will say, well, when we sing psalms, we don't have all just the right words. It's true. We don't because we haven't grown up enough yet to do what it takes to sing the right words. We don't want that. We're working our way there, though. Psalms. It's the Word of God. And it's got all these different subjects and conditions and God's pick them out through David and others so that the church can sing them. And, I mean, how many of you would actually want to say to somebody, may your back be broken, may you be childless, and may you go to hell? Not many of us want to say that. But when you have a songbook made by God and you sing that song, you know you're in the right. Right? That's where the battle is fought. God's the one who answers. We, we don't know how to answer that. We call them imprecatory psalms. They're full of Im, imprecation. It's nasty. You would, be, you would be skewered by the word police today. Because it's not kind hurt your emotions but it's written by the sweet psalmist of Israel and the sweet psalmist of Israel has something you and I don't have and that is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this is God's word so we've moved from Davidic kingship which was lost through the imperium who was supposed to protect Israel, down out the other side of the imperium where Jesus is that stone cut out of a mountain without hands, smashes that statue to bits 
at one point in time. It's all gone. That doesn't mean Rome didn't go on existing, but Rome wasn't being used by God anymore to rule over his people because now the king's here. And do you know something about that king? That king sings psalms. If Jesus were here in our presence, I could bet you he'd sing psalms. We know he does because he sings Psalm 22 to his people in the book of Hebrews. He sings psalms. Now, we're called to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. The word making melody is psalming. So there are three categories we can't, we can't necessarily uh, figure out what the differences are, but we do know what psalms are. And we're not trying to say hymns today shouldn't be sung. Of course they should be sung. But the church has known years ago that the hymn book of the church is the psalms. And that's one of the main purposes of Chronicles. I love that we're learning the songs. It was like pulling teeth at first. We can't do this. I got a good bruising over us trying this out. And now we're much better, and we're much better thanks to Elena and John. Don't you agree? Yeah, we're, we're learning, and we're growing, and all of a sudden we like them. And I, I, it's time to quit, but I got one last thing to say. Uh, I listened to a piano recital on a YouTube channel yesterday. That was done here Friday night. And I thought to myself, self, what if McKinney Bible Church just over time learned the Psalms from the treasury, all of them, and started putting them out there on a YouTube channel so that others could learn like we've learned? Stand and pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Chronicles. We thank you for David and Solomon and all the kings that were called your sons. All, all of them were. And some were terribly bad and some were uh, okay and some were great, but all of them had an Achilles heel. And we thank you that the final Davidic son has come and he has crushed the empire and his kingdom now is spreading throughout this land and we are called to answer the call. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Make the nations disciples, baptizing them in the one name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Lord, help us to be that kind of army that goes forth with words of gospel and goes forth with songs of psalms. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.